Let's hear the word of the Lord taken from Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 2. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the, uh, this reading, though it is quite short, Father. We could spend so much time on these verses that uh, we could really, uh, really occupy many Sundays with them. And Father, such is the words that come forth from your mouth, Lord. Uh, they are so profound. They're beyond us ever being able to master or reach the depths. But yet, Father, you speak to us in a way that is intended for us to be, uh, to be understood. And Father, we thank you. As some of the church fathers said, you, you speak baby talk to us. Well, Father, we do pray that you would come to us this morning, and that, Lord, you would condescend to speak to us, that, Father, you would indeed speak to us in a way that we could clearly understand, Father, and that, Lord, you would accompany your voice with the work of your Holy Spirit, that, Father, we could not only understand, but that we could be changed by it, that we could eternally profit from this, Father. And to these ends, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Last week, we began our Christmas series entitled Restoring What is Lost. And if you were here last week, you recall that the focus last week was restoring the wonder uh, the sense of awe, if you will, of the fact that God has stepped into our world in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you were here, you, you may recall that uh, that's one of the arguments I made for the fact that really in many ways we've kind of lost that sense of wonder. You know, that sense of wonder and awe that led uh, our church fathers to build those, those magnificent cathedrals. I mean, if you look in some places of Europe or even in some places in the United States, there are these, these, these buildings that are, they're huge, they're magnificent, they're, they're designed uh, very much so to really just put awe and wonder into your heart as soon as you step into them. And uh, that was done during a time in church history where God's transcendence was in view. I used that word transcendence kind of briefly last week, but what is this transcendence? It's that sense of of, uh, of God's infinite majesty, if you will, his infinite holiness and his infinite lordship. Uh, and th this is somewhat lost to us in our present generation. Uh, we, uh, we have a tendency to so focus on God's close personal presence uh, that I think in many ways we've lost sense of the magnificence of his wonder, of the splendor and uh, uh, it's not wrong to emphasize God's close, uh, personal, um, uh, gracious presence with us. That's not wrong. We don't want to let go of that while we're seeking to try to get a hold of transcendence, while we're trying to seek uh, to get a hold of, his, of the wonder of his lordship. We want to get both. We got two arms. Let's grab one with each and let's pull them both in so that that, that whole idea of wonder, the fact that God has stepped into our world and the person of Jesus Christ may fill us with a sense of wonder. 
and a sense of awe. Now, again, I want to make a disclaimer here. When I say the wonder of God stepping into our world, I'm not, I'm not ascribing ownership of this universe to us. I think you'll remember I made a statement about that last week. We don't own this universe. This isn't our universe. In fact, we don't own anything. Uh, I'm going to make a, 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 an argument this morning that we don't even own our lives. Yeah, we, you've heard me say before, when you take a breath, I mean, wh- where did that breath come from? Do you sustain your heart? Do you sustain your, your uh, cardiovascular system? Do you sustain your pulmonary system? Do you, how do you like those words? Uh, Alex, am I doing okay? I'm not a medical student here, but we got one in our midst. Uh, we don't sustain this stuff. And my heart's going to beat until the Lord, the Lord shuts it off. And the same is said of all of us. We don't own our lives. God owns our lives. When I, what I mean by God stepping into our world is he steps into our realm, in the realm in which we live and move and have our being, if we might borrow some words from the Apostle Paul in Acts 17. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing that God actually uh, condescends uh, to step into our world in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, with these considerations in mind, I want to build on last week. That God has not only stepped into our world, into our realm, in the person of Jesus Christ. He's come bearing a message. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. He's come bearing a message. And this is, we're thinking about restoring what is lost. This is really an area where there's a lot of confusion in the church today. Is in regards to this message Uh, There's an enormous amount of confusion over what the gospel is, and the stakes are very high on this one. The Apostle Paul tells us that the gospel is the power of of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, doesn't he? Romans 1.16. That verse ought to be pretty familiar to everyone here. It's the power of God for salvation. So we can see the stakes are very high over getting the gospel right now, there's nothing more pressing than paying attention to this, nothing more important than eating this message. So what I want to do with the help of the Holy Spirit this morning is take a look at our text. If you'll look at these verses we've just read, if you'll look at verse 1 with me, now, the, author to the, letter of, uh, the author of the letter to the Hebrews writes, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, those of you who have been coming out on Wednesday nights, you'll know that recently we've been talking about the biblical prophets. We've been talking about the role of the biblical prophets. I think if you ask the average person what comes to mind when they think about prophet, they're probably going to think about some kind of end times prophecy or think about someone who's predicted how the end of this age is going to come about. And that's certainly not wrong. That's one of the roles of the biblical prophet. And uh, on Wednesday nights, I have uh, been presenting to everyone that the biblical prophet could be thought of as a covenant spokesperson. A covenant spokesperson. If we think that through for a minute, if we think about like perhaps books like the book of Revelation, where we have these, these end times uh, statements that are being made. We see how this thing is eventually going to wind out. Well, the, the blessings of the book of Revelation are covenant blessings. That's what's taking place there. And the judgments and things that are taking place are covenant curses. 
And we have this language in the Old Testament, don't we? We've looked in different places, Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 27, 28. We have the blessings and the curses stated very clearly right beside each other. And what is the book of Revelation? It's, 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 the, it's the words of the biblical prophet proclaiming, if you will, the covenant blessings, the covenant curses. The biblical prophet was God's mouthpiece. One of the ways we see this is in this phrase, thus says the Lord. Ko amer Yahweh is the Hebrew phrase. Thus says the Lord. This phrase in the, in the English Standard Translation occurs 416 times in the Bible. Thus says the Lord. 416 times. The prophet who says these things knows the mind of the Lord. The prophet who says these things has been given a message by God to proclaim to the people of God. These words are the very words or the will of God, if you will, for our salvation. Now, again, as we're thinking about restoring what is lost, I think in many cases, those words, they don't jar us quite like they should. When you're reading the Bible and you, you come along and all of a sudden you see these words, thus saith the Lord. I mean, that really should rock us a little bit. Because what follows is what? An actual statement that God is making. And I think one of the reasons that we don't, maybe we're not so rocked by this is that folks are very fond of saying, oh, the Lord told me this and the Lord said this and I was praying and the Lord spoke this and we hear that kind of language all the time. And I'm going to be completely uh, forthcoming here. When I hear that kind of talk, I cringe. I don't know what bothers you. Tammy's really bothered. If you take a fork, you know, and a plate and you kind of scoot it across, you know the sound it makes? Y'all, sorry, I had to go ahead and just, the, just, just describing that activity has made a couple of you, uh, uh, yeah, that's what that sounds like to me. If you want to make me do that, you know, say something like, you know, I was praying and the Lord told me this, and then come to me and say what you believe the Lord told you. That makes me feel like you, some of you feel when that fork goes across the air. And I ask myself, how do you know the Lord told you that? How do you know he said that? And if he did say that, what you just said to me has all of the authority of heaven and earth with it. Now, I just don't think we're, just, we're even connected with that. It's just so easy to say, I was praying, the Lord told me to say this to you, and I'm, I'm going to say this to you. And I'm, uh, Listen, God's not our cosmic buddy. We have a tendency to, to think of God as like a cosmic, he's not a cosmic buddy. He's not a cosmic genie in a cosmic bottle. I don't know if you've ever noticed, a lot of times when people use that kind of language, well, the Lord told me to tell you this. It's usually something favorable. It's usually something that you'd kind of like to see happen anyway. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. But the thing about it is, how, how do we know that God has said this? Now, someone will say, well, Rick, you know, we need to sit down and talk. You just don't seem to believe that God speaks to us today. Yes, I do. <laughs> I certainly believe God speaks to us today. How does God speak to us today? He speaks to us through his word. I bring, I bring problems and questions to the Bible all the time. Why do I do that? Because I'm expecting to hear a word from the Lord. How do I know it's the Lord speaking? Because 416 times we're told in here, Thus saith the Lord. 
The Bible that we hold in our hands here makes the claim. It claims everywhere to be the very word of God. If I wrote you a letter and I put it in the mailbox and you got out to your, eventually it makes its way to your mailbox. When you open up that letter and you begin to read that letter, to the degree that you understand what I've written you, I'm actually speaking. Does that make sense? The letter becomes the medium upon which I speak, but I'm speaking to you when you read those words. That's why during wartime, when folks stateside get letters from their loved ones out on the battlefield, they put them under their pillow. Why do they do that? Because these are the very words of their loved one. And when they read those words, their loved one is speaking. Some of you have had that experience, haven't you? You know what I'm talking about. We should so cherish this Bible and so understand that when we read this Bible, listen, everyone, the Lord is speaking to us. I know a lot of, I don't know a lot of godly people, but I know a fair amount of godly people. And one thing I'll say that they all have in common is they never, 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 never say things like, I was praying and the Lord told me to tell you this and this and this. They don't say that. You want to know why? Because the last thing they would want to do is misrepresent misrepresent the sovereign Lord of the universe whom they love so deeply. Here's what they'll say instead. They'll say, you know, to my measure of faith, I'm... Here's what I think. I could be wrong, but here's what I think. But more often than that, what they'll do, if they have something they want to say to you, they'll either do it from memory or they'll bring out the Bible and they'll say, look at the context here and see what God has to say here. This is what God says about this situation. We can know that God spoke. Why can we know that God spoke? Because of our text. Look back at verse 1 with me again. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God did what? He spoke to our fathers through the prophets. Look what comes next. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by who? His son. Notice the contrast here. We have long ago versus in these last days. See the contrast there? Long ago would refer to the period of the patriarchs, of Moses, the prophets, through those times. In these last days refers to the period of the Messiah. We are in the last days currently right now. That's what we would call the Messianic period. The period after the uh, Messiah has come and done his work. There's another contrast here. Notice that it says that God spoke through the prophets. Okay. One side he spoke through the prophets. Okay. In contrast, okay, long ago, many times, many different ways, God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us by who? His son. His son. So God spoke through the prophets. God spoke through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Moses, Samuel, David, etc. Long ago and in many different ways. Through theophany, through visions, through audible voices through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as men wrote down the words that were given to them. God spoke to our fathers. In these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. There's a third contrast here. It's implied, um, it's not formally stated, but it's implied 
Notice it says it many times in many ways. Okay? At many times in many ways. Long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our, our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us uh, by his son. Um, as Jesus comes and speaks to us, he gives us the final word. Finally and completely, Jesus speaks to us. Uh, I, again, it's implied, but I think if you meditate on this for a little while, you'll come to agree. Uh, the stronger gets the last word, doesn't he? I mean, would it hardly be appropriate that someone comes in and puts a final word on the words that Jesus has given us? I hardly think not. So we see we have all of these different contrasts. So what are we getting from here? Well, God has stepped into our world, right, in the person of Jesus Christ. And he has come bearing a message, hasn't he? Now, what is that message? That's what I want to spend the rest of our time on this morning. What is that message? That message is the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? I can remember a number of years ago trying to figure that question out. I had a growing little library going on in the house, and I was devouring those books, and I was reading the Bible and devouring those books and reading the Bible, and I kept hearing uh, the author of the books saying we need to be out in the business of sharing the gospel. And I bought into that. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's correct. We need to be out in the business of sharing the gospel. Okay, I want to share the gospel. Uh, what is the gospel? And I began going through all my books trying to find, okay, would somebody tell me what the gospel is? And I couldn't find anything. Uh, one author after another author after another author. We need to share the gospel. Okay, that's great. What is the gospel? Could you please tell me what I need to share and I'll get on about it. What is the gospel? One book after another book after another book. So I began to seek books that would... Tell me, what is the gospel? And as I began to do that, I'm getting a whole plethora of answers as to what is the gospel. I remember telling Tammy, I said, nobody knows what's going on here. Look, one says the gospel is this, another says the gospel is that, another says the gospel is this, another says the gospel is that. What is the gospel? Again, I'll remind you of what this series is all about, restoring what is lost. What if we lose the gospel? What happens? We lose the power of God for the salvation. For everyone who believes, what are we going to believe if we lose the gospel? Stakes are very high here. They're very high. We need to recover this. What I want to do this morning is I want to, I want to give you, I want to, first of all, I want to tell you what the gospel is. I can only do it very briefly this morning because really the gospel is actually the very heart and epicenter of the entire word of God. Everything in the word of God supports the gospel. The gospel is at the very heart of it. It's the lifeblood of the, of the entire word of God, if you will. It all is supported by that. But what I want to do this morning is I want to give you four little phrases that really all I want to accomplish this morning is I hope that everyone will go out that door this morning with these four phrases. They're little pegs, if you will, upon which we can hang the information of the gospel on. And the first one is God as holy and gracious creator. God as holy and gracious creator. And the, the, the second one and third one are real easy to remember. The second one is bad news. Bad news. Some of you may come up with better words than me, and I'm going to give you some alternatives as we go. Um, this works for my mind, but it might not work for yours. But as long as we get these concepts down, we have God as holy and gracious creator. That's the first part. Second part's bad news. Third part is good news. Good news. 
And the fourth is um, an appropriate response. Now, some of you already know where I'm going with all this. I've given you enough now. You know exactly where I'm going. And the reason I want to do this, I'm, each one of these points is a sermon series in itself. So I'm going to try to discipline myself to try not to take a dump, a dump truck and dump on you here. Uh, because we've got to remember that when we're talking to people, if someone were to ask us what the gospel is, keep it simple at the beginning. Keep it simple at the start. Cover these basic four things, and you'll have covered the gospel with them. And it has to be simple to get it into our own minds. It has to be simple so that we can use it conversationally as it comes up. Does that make sense? Because a lot of times, you don't get to pick and choose when these events are going to happen. When someone really decides they want to open up and they really want to ask you, just what's this all about? It sometimes happens at the most inopportune times uh, that you can even think of. It has to be simple. So we have these four things. Let's look, at all, let's look at each of them very briefly. God is holy and gracious creator. Okay, that's the first one. Think Genesis 1 and 2 here, where we have the creation testimony, the creation account. We've been created by a holy and gracious God. When I was first forming my notes here, originally I, had, I just had gracious creator. You know, I didn't have the holy part, and I started looking at them like, oh, goodness, make sure you remember the holy part, holy and gracious creator. We've been created by a holy God. That's going to come up here in a couple of minutes. But let's talk about gracious creator, a gracious creator. What is the most precious thing to you? What is, what is the most precious thing to each one of you? Some of us, well, probably a lot of us will say our loved ones, Right? I would suggest that the most precious thing that we have is our very own lives. Think about Jesus. When Jesus is summarizing all of the law and the gospel, and he's giving his two commandments, which summarizes the whole thing. He says the first one is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? And the other one, love your neighbor as what? Yourself. Now, he's not teaching us to love ourselves. He understands we got that one down. <laughs> There's one thing that, the, that we're really good at, and that's loving number one here. We don't need any help in that department. Contrary to popular belief, when I hear people talk, oh, they just need to learn to love themselves. Oh, my goodness. If there's anything that we got down, it's we love ourselves. We love ourselves so intently. Think about all of the selfish thoughts that you have in the course of a day. What are all of those about? Their love of self. And that's what Jesus is doing. Let's see, you know, if you can love others the way you love yourself, man, this would be great. Fact is, we can't, can we? That's really one of our big problems. Now, my point here isn't to debate this at all. My point here is, what's the most precious thing that we have? If you want to say, listen, I do, love my love, I do love my loved ones more than myself, that's fine. Whether you love your loved ones more than you love yourself, either way, who gave you both? God is giving both of them to you. Whether it be your children, your spouse, your parents, who it might be, all of the above. God gave us them all. And furthermore, he's giving us the breath that's in our lungs. He's, he's keeping our hearts beating. He, everything that we have that's meaningful has come from God. As a consequence, we don't own ourselves, do we? We're his property. And because of that, we owe him our love, our devotion, our service, and our worship. 
to withhold those things from him is criminal. It's to be like children that love what their father gives them more than they love their father. There isn't a person in this room that would think highly of a child like that. But guess what? We're children like that, aren't we? We become so infatuated in the things of this world that we don't, we don't give our love and our devotion and our service to the one who gave us these things. So we've been created by a loving and gracious, a holy and gracious God, right? That's our first one. Think Genesis 1 and 2. Now the bad news. I hate the bad news. I don't like sharing the bad news. I'm going to give you a phrase uh, that might be easier for you to remember than the bad news. We've spit in God's face. We have spit in his face. Some of them may say, whoa, 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 Rick, that's really harsh. Um, I've never spit in God's face. Really? Really? We love John 3.16. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We love that verse, don't we? That verse goes up on the billboard along the highway. I don't think I've ever seen John 3.19 up along the highway. In fact, we don't even know John 3.19. What's John 3.19? And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their works are evil. Well, that one don't make it. It's not going along the highway. Let's skip that one. We can't skip that one. That's the reason Jesus came is because of that one. We can't skip the bad news. I'll read it to you again, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, but people love darkness rather than the light. Who is the light? Christ is the light. Christ has come into the world. The wonder of God stepping into this world in the person of Jesus Christ. He has come into this world in what? We loved our sin more than we loved him. If that isn't spitting in his face, then what is? We owe every breath that we take to him, and we don't want nothing to do with him. It's worse than that. It's worse than we don't want anything to do with him. Uh, If you read verse 20, John 3.20, this one isn't making it along the highway either. It says, everyone who does wicked things hates the light, hates the light, and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. Now, some of them might say, well, Rick, you're just talking about the really bad guys. You're not talking about us. That's not true. These verses are talking about all of us. This is, why, this is really why we don't come to Jesus. It's not a philosophical matter. When I, I remember back in the days when we had our music store and I wanted to share the gospel as I started to finally figure out what it was and I got busy sharing it. I thought all I had to do was just be real good at communicating it. If I could get real good at communicating it, everyone's going to believe this stuff. Oh, my goodness, did I get clobbered. A good one. Repeatedly. And I come to the conclusion quickly, man, people really don't like this gospel stuff. I had to make up my mind. Do you want to continue to do this? Because... I was getting clobbered on such a regular basis. It's like, man, do I want to, you really got to believe this stuff to continue to do this. Yes, you do. People hate the light. That's why we don't come. It's not because we can't understand. It's not because we don't know God is there. We know he's there. It's because we hate it. That's why we don't come. This isn't just referring to bad people. 
It's referring to all of us. We've been created by a holy and gracious God who's given us all the important things in life that we have, the things that we really cherish, the things that when you're on your deathbed, they're going to be those things that you want beside. I've been, I've been beside people as they've been breathing their last. Nobody cares about their careers. Just forget that one. Nobody cares about their house. Forget that. Nobody cares a rip about the house. You know what they care about? They care about their loved ones. End of it. That's what they care about. Who gave us our loved ones? God gave us our loved ones. Then we come to the bad news. We spit in the face of this holy and just God. And it isn't until, you see, the, the tendency is to want to skip that bad news. And I understand that. I know why you want to skip the bad news. I like to skip it too, and I have skipped it to my shame. We don't want to share the bad news. And we always, we, we can say this, you know, we can say this. We can say, well, if I share the bad news, I'm going to run them off. If I share the bad news, I might actually do damage. Yeah, right. True, you might run them off. But what are we really worried about? Why don't we want to share uh, the bad news? It goes back to what Jesus is saying. You know, that love of self, that one that we really got down so good. If I share the bad news with them, they're going to think I'm a wacko. They're going to think I'm some kind of who knows what. They might be offended. I might lose my reputation. Who knows what could happen? That's, I think that's 90% of what's going on, why we don't share the bad news. But until we've embraced the bad news, everyone, the good news doesn't make any sense. You know, earlier this morning, I was asking um, Tina. I said, you know, Tina, if we, if, we had, uh, if we had snake venom here this morning, you know, the antivenom, you know, when you get bit by a poisonous snake, you have to get to the hospital and get that antivenom. Why do you need to get that? So it'll, so it'll neutralize the venom that's in your bloodstream from the snake bite. You know, if I told everybody, listen, um, we've got snake venom up here. After the service, please, everyone, come on up uh, one by one and you can get your snake. Would anybody be interested in that? Why? You haven't been bit by a snake. But if all of us, if there was a waiting room here full of people who've been bit by rattlesnakes, and I said, we've got the venom up here, come up one by one, there'd probably be a stampede to the front. You see, we've got to get the bad news before we're going to get the good news. As the church has ignored the bad news, you know, the bad news that, listen, we're dealing with a holy God here. He is right and just to be wrathful over the fact that we've spit in his face. And as we've ignored the bad news, we've stopped talking about the wrath of God. And as we've stopped talking about the wrath of God, nobody believes that there's any wrath coming. I hear people talk all the time. Nobody really believes it's coming. Nobody really believes it's happening. Yet Jesus, he comes bearing a message, right? In these last days, God spoken through his son. Study the writing, study the gospels. And you're going to discover that Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else. Anyone else in the Bible. That's the bad news. As we embrace the bad news, guess what happens? That's that, that announcement that there's snake venom up front comes really attractive. The good news gets really good. The good news is that Jesus has come and lived a perfect life. God stepped into our world in the person of Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life so that he could go to the cross with that life and he could take the cross, his life to that cross and undergo what? Undergo the wrath of God that nobody believes in. You see, if we don't believe in the wrath of God, we don't believe in the cross. What's going on at the cross? 
Jesus is suffering the penalty of the wrath of God in place of the people that he has come to save. And that there's no joy and wonder. Because we skipped the bad news. There's no joy and wonder. But once we embrace the bad news that each one of us has spit in God's face, yet he still came in the person of Jesus Christ and he went to the cross to die for the likes of us. Oh my. That's good news. And furthermore, that perfect life that he lived, that perfect righteousness that he lived, he did it so he could give it away. So he could give us righteousness that we need, righteousness that we don't have, righteousness that we must have, because we're all headed into a court. We're all headed into a courtroom where we're going to have to deal with Jesus. And without his righteousness, we're not going to be able to stand. This leads to our last point. We have, we have a need for a necessary response. We can be hearing all of this stuff and, and we can think, well, okay, yeah, I'm all right. I think I got that. I, okay. But if we stop at the good news, we stop short of salvation because it requires a response from us. That's the last point. You might put faith and repentance there if you want, if it helps you remember. But it has to be an appropriate response. We have to appropriately respond to this in faith and repentance. Now, let me say what faith isn't. It's not mental assent. There's many people out there that say, I got it. I understand it. Okay, I think I'm, I'm on uh, they mentally assent that all of these things are true, but their lives aren't changed by it. Saving biblical faith okay, produces repentance. It, reproduce, it produces, what is repentance? It's a, it's a change. It's a turn. It's a change of attitude, heart attitude, mind attitude about these things. We were once headed this direction until we received the gospel and then we turn 180 degrees and we begin running in the opposite direction. Doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean perfection. It means a change. We still fall into uh, uh, sin. We still fall into uh, uh, all kinds of things from time to time. You know, I, um, I don't want to name any names here. If I did, I don't think anyone here would know this person. But uh, I am thinking of an individual as I say these words. Uh, the most, one of the most godly men that I know. Um, if you were to go up to him and you were to ask him, now mind you, this is a man who's given decades of his life in humble service to, to Christ Jesus. If you were to go up to him and you were to ask him about his own personal righteousness, do you know what he would tell you? He would tell you that he's rotten clear to the core. I know that's what he would tell you. I'm rotten clear to the core. That's the confession that we have to make. That's repentance. It's, it's no longer trusting in yourself or your ability or any of these things. I know this man would tell you all. If you watched him, if you followed him around, you'd say, boy, this is really a wonderful fellow here. Oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've spent some time with him. And I know if you asked him, about his personal righteousness. And I don't want to use his name because it's going to get up on the internet and I don't ever want him to hear this because he wouldn't want this to be said about him. But if you asked him, if you asked him, he'd tell you he was rotten clear to the core. Now, some of you have walked with Jesus for a long time. And the closer you walk with Jesus, the more you realize what about yourself? 
you're rotten clear to the core. Clear to the core. You see, this is all of grace. And the repentant understand that it's all of grace. They understand that. There's nowhere else to turn. There's nowhere else to go. I have no righteousness. I'm in filthy rags. I go to he who is fully righteous, who is dispensing grace, and I call on him for his grace. And the good news is he gives it to me. What's our four things here? God is holy and, and gracious creator. We don't own ourselves. We don't own our lives. We don't own anything. Okay? We got the bad news. You might remember we, we, we spit in God's face. You're going to get some resistance on that one, I'll just tell you right now as you go sharing that. You didn't need me to tell you that. You already know that, don't you? Then there's the good news. The good news is that Jesus dies on the cross. Why is Jesus dying on the cross? Why is Jesus suffering on the cross? Because of the wrath of God. The wrath of God over the bad news. He takes our place. He gives us his righteousness. This requires a response from us. That love, that heart, devotion, that worship and that service that we owe him, it has to be his. That's saving faith and repentance. Amen? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this great news. We thank you that you have stepped into our world, O oh Father, in the person of Jesus Christ, and you've come bearing a message, the message of the gospel. And we thank you, O oh Father, that you've made that message very clear. It's only in our, um, our contrariness and our obstinance and our stubbornness that we fail to miss it and fail to see it. O oh Father, we pray that you would press these four points upon our, our minds to such a degree that... Uh, Lord, we would go forth from this place preaching this to ourselves until we have it down so well that we can communicate it to others. And Father, we recognize as we preach these four points to ourselves that, oh, Father, we will be blessed. I know we'll be blessed as we do this. And we thank you, oh, Father, in advance for that blessing. So, Father, we do uh, thank you that you loved us so much that uh, you came to the likes of us and provided such a great salvation to us. Give us, O oh Father, that gift of faith and repentance that we may repent afresh this morning and that we may uh, uh, just renew our faith in you afresh. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand. <clears throat>